for the Agile community. www.agile.fm Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Agile FM. And today I have a guest with me I always wanted to have on this podcast. But the stars have not aligned until today. Uh, it is Esther Derby. Um, Esther Derby is an author of uh, two books. Um, uh, one of them is, I remember when it was released in 2006, uh, Agile Retrospectives. Um, I think a book that uh, changed many, many people's lives. Um, Esther is a founding member of the Scrum Alliance, board member of the Agile Alliance. She probably doesn't need an introduction uh, to the Agile community, but I'm doing it anyways. Um, and uh, she holds a master's in organizational leadership, and these pretty much are the topics uh, we would love to talk about today. So first of all, welcome to the podcast, Esther. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Right. And we also have your dog, Izzy, in the background as well. Yes. Um She's busy right now, but she might be barking. She might be barking, so just... At, uh, at a certain point. Yes. <laughs> oh. All right. Here we go. All right. So the There we go. She's barking already. I, I jinxed it. I jinxed it. Oh. But Oh, well. Oh, well. Right? Agile Retrospectives <laughs> is a book, as I said, that was released in 2006, and it's a great toolbox, of, I think, for everybody. And I think it's a stunning, stunning book. For one reason, it's not prescriptive. It's a book that uh, uh, people can just put their retrospectives together. Um, you know, you have a, a theme to how um, these retrospectives are being aligned, but the uh, book itself doesn't say this is how retrospectives are going to be uh, performed for the next 20 years. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> what has what has happened, and what do you think happened since 2006, since the release of retrospectives? to all these retrospectives out there in this world? Well, I don't know about all of them. Oh. Um, um, but I have heard some pretty dramatic uh, stories about how people have been able to use this regular cadence of reflecting to make significant improvements in, you know, in the way they're working together, in the quality of their work. Um, in their sense of agency that, you know, we can actually make changes. Mm -hmm. So I've heard some really terrific stories. And sadly, I've also heard stories about, you know, people who are forced to do retrospectives in a sort of ritualistic way mm -hmm. and people who do retrospectives, but they're never allowed to have any time to actually make improvements. Mm -hmm. And I've heard stories about people who are still doing retrospectives that consist of saying, what are we doing well? What, are, what should we do differently? Mm -hmm. So there's still room for people to move into this cadence of reflection and improving. I would actually, I have experiences that are even further out there. Some, some teams skip retrospectives uh, sure. altogether, right? And they're like, I don't even know how to perform them. And that's when I usually put a book, your book, into their hands and, <laughs> well, and say, like, it's like, you need to read this. Um, that's kind of you. <laughs> um, But although I would say if, if people are having retrospectives that where they are not given any time to actually make improvements or where it's used to blame people, Or the manager is checking in to make sure who's you know who's not um, you know doing what he thinks they should be doing. Then then I think they should probably skip them. Mm -hmm. So if they're if they're being used for blame or they're not used, then yeah, better not to have one. 
yeah. at all than to have one that um, contributes to blame or is not a good use of people's time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so how do you feel about the, in Scrum, everything is time-boxed, so is the retrospective. How do you feel about that time-box? Just curious. Um, well, I think time-boxes can be useful. I don't think they're the thing that will save everything, but um, what I often find is that people... Um, allocate so little time to um, reflection and improving to their retrospectives that it's it's not surprising that they're not getting much value out of them. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're only allocating um, you know half an hour to think about um, you know a month's worth of work or two weeks worth of work, it's mm-hmm. not surprising to me that you're not getting beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you- I, you, you probably have seen the latest version of the Scrum Guide, uh, which was like released maybe two or three weeks ago, uh, early November 17. Uh, Actually, I haven't looked at it. Right. So there is a, there is a new, um, new statement in there which emphasizes actually retrospective items to be part of the sprint backlog for the future sprint. Yeah, I agree with that. I, yeah, I've been saying that for years. Awesome. That if it's, if it's not, if, you're, if, if your improvement... Actions aren't part of your real plan. If they're part of some separate plan, they nothing happens with them. So they have to be considered part of your real work, mm-hmm. not not some separate category of of mm-hmm. of um, some because those secondary plans just are always overtaken by the need to deliver features. So I agree that it's really necessary for it to be part of the plan for the work for the sprint. Awesome, right? So that was retrospectives, and it was a long time ago. But today, you're uh-huh. focusing. Today, you're focusing on bringing agility to organizations, uh, and you state that the environment, culture, and organizational dynamics are directly linked to the level of success. Why is sure. work, why is working with people so much harder than with machines? <laughs> well, they're they're not deterministic. <laughs> Um, why, why does it entertain you so much in the uh, cultural and organizational dynamics in particular? Well, people are endlessly fascinating. I mean, you know, on an individual level, and people are just very, very interesting, and it's very rewarding to, to interact with people and get to know people for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and in groups, um, the you know the dynamics and the complexity of those situations and how the environment interacts with people um, is it, it's it's just totally fascinating. Um, and my experience is that you know in most organizations people focus on um, you know let's let's get the right people and then let's get the these people to work to the maximum efficiency versus looking at the environment that we've mm-hmm. created for people. And I think that's that's missing a you know well it's obviously it's missing half of the equation, um, because the environment has such a big impact on people's work. Um, actually, the, Kurt Lewin um, has an equation which I'm quite fond of, which is behavior is a function of the person and the environment, and mm. I think that is often overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, I heard a I heard a 
Well, I got a call from someone who was telling me about a team that was just demotivated. And, you know, he was wondering how he could motivate these individuals. And he was wondering if they just were, you know, like kind of had a character flaw because they weren't motivated, even they were being paid. And I started asking questions. And it, it turned out that these poor people were working on a task that was really not very compelling. They were updating legal um, legalese on pages for a large organization. Um, they worked in a basement room with no windows. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> they had they had no connection to the uh, you know the people who actually approved these web pages. And half the time they you know they'd finish something and they they'd contact the person and the person would say I I can't get to that for six months and and so there was nothing in their environment. That provided motivation. They were divorced from the end customer. Their work was compartmentalized, so it didn't really touch on the whole or a bigger purpose. Mm. And they, their physical environment was terrible. So, so. But they were getting paid. <laughs> well, they were getting paid. So, of course, they should be giving their full effort. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I think that's a faulty way of thinking. You know, people people are motivated when things are interesting and there is some larger purpose. And you know they were being dutiful. They were. It's not like they weren't weren't doing their job. They just weren't highly motivated. Mm -hmm. So you know, in that case, it was there were some limits about what they could do since the design of the work was such that it was intrinsically not particularly motivating. But they, there were other things they could have done mm -hmm. to make the environment more um, hospitable to humans. Mm -hmm. What do you think are the factors for for a higher morale? Obviously, it's not the pay, um, but what what increases the the motivation of you know doing a stellar job on on yeah. a specific project? Having having a, a compelling purpose, one that is meaningful, that is challenging, um, that is clear enough that people can actually grasp what it is to do. Uh, is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. And then having the means to do that. Um, I was, I was talking to a group last week about um, the conditions for, you know, engagement and motivation. And it's really understanding the why and having, you know, some boundaries, but not having the how be dictated. Right. So, uh, um, I see that as a common theme, right? The how part, when you tell specialists, experts, how to do things, um, not very motivating. Oh, terribly unmotivating. Yeah. And a waste, a waste of, of capability, of mm -hmm. human potential. Right. Um, I'm doing it because somebody said that's how they want it. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. Sad. How do you go home at five o'clock? <laughs> how do you how feel? Do you, yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you make it until five o'clock without yeah, feeling true. dispirited? Mm -hmm. I think it's the bigger question. Mm-hmm. Well, so this was from a from a uh, from a moods level. That was the low point of our podcast here today, right? So right? <laughs> we're, we're, we reached the low point. We're gonna go now to a higher level. We're gonna go to success. We're gonna go to uh, uh, success in organizations. Obviously, you're spending a, a lot of time uh, with organizations of uh, introducing or cultivating um, agility. Uh, what I hear uh, when I'm speaking with people, they're like, yeah, I can sense that Agile is making a difference. Uh, I can sense that people do things differently, and it might feel like we're doing more, but 
how do we how do we measure success and how do you measure success in an organization saying like this is since the introduction of agile like x years ago uh we have seen the following changes and uh you know where do you um you know what kind of i don't know if there are metrics you're using or things you're observing where you would say there is an evidence of success well i think there's a lot of ways you can look at success um you can look at are we um are we delivering products to our customers that our customers value um you know has the cost of maintaining our product gone down because we're delivering fewer bugs and higher quality code mm-hmm. um are we financially in a better situation because our products are are more successful um so that's sort of the business side of thing but you can also look at um what's our turnover mm-hmm. You know, has our turnover gone down? Has our sick time gone down? Because um, those speak to we are creating a workplace where people want to stay. They feel challenged. They feel valued. Um, it talks to reduced levels of stress, mm-hmm. which is directly tied to um, to um, absences from work. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could be looking at those things. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are doing happiness indexes, and I don't, I, you know, I, those may or may not be valid. But the, you know, the turnover and the sick days mm-hmm. directly relate to how people feel about their work and whether they're working at a sustainable pace. And they also speak to the financial um, mm. results of the company. So both of those things are quite, quite expensive. Big. Yeah. Yeah. So my dog is making a lot of noise in the background. I hope it's not coming oh, through in the no, podcast. No, no, I don't hear anything. And uh, oh, good, because it's not me making those sort of um, grunting and <laughs> chewing noises. I promise you, it's not me. I don't. I don't hear anything um, <laughs> so far. Right. So, uh, but um, so what? What you're saying is about sustainable pace, and it's about uh, sure. stress level. And so on for for many organizations that are new to agile most of them are actually new uh it's really the opposite the stress increases with uh with with uh, certain processes being implemented uh, you see teams um really feeling like pressured by time boxes getting more work done it's the opposite of what you're describing here right well i think the the process of a big change is always stressful in and of itself mm-hmm. you know that's that's It just is. So one of the things I try to do is introduce things more gradually and more slowly so that there's not a big perturbation in the system and so that people are not experiencing huge amounts of stress related to the change itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I get worried when people talk about feeling uh, more pressured and more time-boxed. Um, and that makes me concerned about how people are understanding the principles of agile development and how they are understanding the need for um, autonomy and buy-in from the people doing the work. Mm-hmm. Do you think, do you think that it's related also to management leadership in an organization having wrong expectations? of what's what agile would do for them um as a as an organization well um are, are you familiar with the phrase bless their hearts 
bless their hearts. Yes. It's common in the South. You know, once you've said bless their hearts, then you can say just about anything. Like, oh, bless her heart. That dress <laughs> makes her look as big as a barn. Um, so bless their hearts. I think um, a lot of executives seem to think that change is a step function. That um, you implement a change and you will immediately have an increase in uh, productivity. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. Uh, it is almost always the case that um, what, you know when you bring in some change that requires people to think differently and behave differently and have different relationships and learn different skills, there's actually a dip in people's um, productivity and performance. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so yeah, I think there is a mismatch between the reality of change and um, the expectations of of um, the benefits of agile. Mm-hmm. I, I also think that a, a lot of a lot of places that attempt to, and I'm using this word in quotes, install uh, agile on the team level, uh, but don't look at how work flows through the organization in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they don't necessarily examine, you know, what are the patterns that are getting in our way and what holds those patterns in place. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, um, it's in, in some sense, uh, superimposing a process without uh, looking at what the underlying processes are and whether they're compatible and what needs to shift in order to move towards something more effective. Mm-hmm. What do you? I mean, you you work with a ton of you work with a ton of leaders out there. What do you hear from their end? What is uh, from a from a coaching consulting uh, perspective? Uh, what do you hear from them? I mean, we we have explored on the on the team level. There's a lot of material out there on how to introduce agile on that team level you were just describing, right? Which is essential. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like it's essential. Um, but what do you hear from leaders um, about these the, the flip, the change, the in, installing um, agile? Um, yeah. Well, I, 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 the ones that I work with closely recognize that it involves change on their part as well as on the team's part. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, it involves changing the questions they ask about how things are going. Um, It involves shifting the way they um, focus their attention on, you know, individuals or teams versus on uh, how work flows through the system. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, you know, it's it's a different way of thinking than we have been taught, right? And and very often people... um, you know, when they've grown up in a system and they uh, have experienced success within a system, it's not particularly easy to shift that thinking. Mm-hmm. And, and most of our organizations are really designed in the image of a machine. For so, so even when they do shift their thinking, sometimes it's difficult to to make change happen within these organizations. This is one of the reasons I advocate small small changes. Um, because they don't, you know, they don't uh, create chaos and they don't um, freak mm-hmm. people out. Right. You know? It kind of eases things and it gives people time to learn mm-hmm. as they go and shift their thinking as they go. Mm-hmm. So you have an, um, on your on your website. I found a, a chart. I think it's a few years a few years ago you released this, and it's like the um, the environment for agile success. 
um, what is, and one of the things is really, I mean, you're using the M word on that chart, like management, right? Where a lot of people try to <laughs> stay away these days. For me, it's like, you know, management, leadership, um, there's morale, there's uh, clarity, capability, decision-making, sure. sure. effectiveness. Could you, just for the listeners visiting your site, um, interested in that model, why, why do they exist? Why did you put these things together? And why are they exactly like this? I'm super excited about morale, for example. Um, well, I think all of those things are sort of mutually reinforcing. And um, I'm trying to get to that page. So I'm looking at the same thing you're looking at. Yeah. Um, so we have like in the inner core, we have the values, yeah, the yeah, mission, yeah, 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 mission. Yeah. Um, and of course I just redid my website. So everything's, I don't know where anything is anymore. <laughs> uh, so, so I, the, the way people, um, think about their organization is often like a machine, right? That's mm -hmm. kind of the dominant image whether it's consciously held or not about an organization but it's really far more complex than that and there's you know the, the we don't have a direct causation so all of these things are in, entwined everything touches everything and these are some of the areas i look at in terms of the functional dynamics of an organization to understand where there is room to shift something mm -hmm. So that, you know, we can move towards something more effective. So the way people are doing management, how, what management practices are in place, and how people think about that job um, will affect how people are making decisions. It will affect morale. It will affect all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. um, I have lately started thinking about it in a... Um, a way that that distills it to what managers need to be paying attention to is clarity. Do people know what the work is, how it fits into the bigger picture, mm -hmm. what the purpose is, um, conditions, so do people actually have the means to do their work, and then constraints or boundaries so mm. that people know where their autonomy is. And when they bump up against something, they know they need to, you know, mm -hmm. we can't make this decision, so we need to go have a conversation, um, which are in some ways the essential um, factors which we can, can use to influence the patterns that emerge in a complex system. Mm -hmm. Which which every organization would fall into that category, I would assume. Right? Yeah, there's sometimes there's work within an organization that isn't complex, mm -hmm. but the organizations in themselves generally are. That's why I know. Um, so from an from an from an organizational perspective, I mean, you have to, you've been doing this for many many years, right? Are there, any, yes. are there any indicators for you when you walk first day, you're meeting with a t new organization, new customer, you walk into this organization, is there anything you take away on day number one where you think like, wow, like things you notice instantly for this, there is agile going on here, yes or no? It's like there are there any kind of key things you commonly see out there where you feel like an organization needs help in a specific area? 
What are the well, I would I yeah. would say that process happens long before I arrive on the first day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, and sometimes that process results in me saying, "No, I don't think I'm coming." Um, so, I, I guess one of the first things I look for is in those initial conversations. Um, how are people defining the problem? How are the people I'm talking to defining the problem? And how open are they to uh, exploring mm -hmm. an alternate definition of the problem? Or looking at different sorts of information and how that might inform how they conceive of the issue. Mm -hmm. There, Which is, is speaking to openness mm -hmm. and flexibility and uh, willingness to examine um, conceptions about the organization outside of, oh, we have a team that needs to be faster. Right. Mm -hmm. do, you, um, do you work more with larger organizations, smaller organizations, or does it, does it matter for you? I work with... All, all sizes of organizations. Yeah. Um, so, you know, sometimes I work with 30-person companies and sometimes I work with a division of 5,000 people mm. of a company that's, you know, 60,000 people. Wow. I've worked with an eight-person company. <laughs> very different dynamics than... Uh, yeah, very yeah. different dynamics. And, and, very. and there's some notable shifts that happen at about... 15 and about 30 and about 100. Mm -hmm. Oh, is that so? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Now, you have um, you have written a, the, the book we mentioned before, The Agile Retrospectives, together with Diana Larson. And mm -hmm. uh, Diana Larson is speaking at the uh, Agile Miami conference, uh, mm -hmm. which we're putting together in, in February. Um, what conferences do you uh, attend these days? Um, I, I know you speak a lot, right? You go out and do presentations, um, which, uh, and I know one of them is actually the, the uh, uh, AYE conference you're organizing. I'm not sure if you're still organizing it, but. No, actually we retired that conference oh. a while ago. Although okay. lately there've been a lot of people talking about wanting some something like I. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, it, we realized that in many ways we had met our goals for that conference. So um, just we moved on. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, you know, I speak at a number of conferences every year. Uh, I was in Warsaw in in October, and I was at a little um, meetup in London last week. Nice. Um, so yeah, I get around. You get around. Um, yeah, and my my schedule for uh, for 2018 is still taking shape. Mm -hmm. So I know I'll be at the Scrum Gathering in Canada. Mm -hmm. And um, there's some other things that are in discussion. All right, maybe maybe we have an opportunity to get you to New York at some point. <gasps> it's possible. Possible. Right. It's, well, it's more than possible. Get you to the uh, Agile Day in New York, uh, or we align you with uh, you know another conference maybe uh, down the road, February. Yeah. February in Miami, by the way, very nice. Um, what? What conferences do you see currently trending? Like for, from your perspective, right? The topics you're uh, you're writing and you're passionate about. Is, are there any kind of conferences? You know, Agile uh, 2018, like the typical flagship five-day conferences. 
for the broad masses, right? You go there and you speak, but is there anything that stands out where you would say this is a must go for you? Oh, well, there's a very long list. I mean, there's a, cool. I, I actually um, really love a lot of the smaller regional conferences. Mm-hmm. I really love them. Um, uh, they get a, a sort of different variety of speakers, um, and you often have much more opportunity to interact with people than at a huge conference. True. So, um, I really liked the uh, Path to Agility conference. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to that. I spoke at that last spring, and um, I think they did a fantastic job putting the schedule together. Mm-hmm. There were topics that were outside the norm and that were interesting and compelling. Um, agile um, and beyond. I've also, heard of that one, yeah. Yeah, that, so, so it's Midwestern Conference. They do a really nice job. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of these smaller regional conferences, I think, are um, really terrific. Mm-hmm. Really terrific. Yeah, there's a lot going on. It's like I visited the Agile Alliance website for like local events because we put the Miami thing on. I was like, what, mm-hmm. what else is going on out there? And it's just, it's just simply amazing. Like, I mean, obviously for... For me, it's like East Coast, you know, I'm, I'm watching what's going on on the East Coast and then um, um, like more like in detail, but this is an amazing uh, amount of conferences and uh, small regional gatherings going on. Uh, it's, it's, really, um, it's really fantastic. Now, to the end of our podcast here, Esther, you wrote um, tons of articles, I think over 100 articles, two books, oh, you know, I'm many, not sure. Many. Yeah, and I'm not sure if you're working on another book or not, but would be more interested right now is like, what are you reading these days? Well, I am working on another book. You do? Um, yeah, based on my uh, a talk I've been doing called Six Rules for Change, mm-hmm. which is a more complexity and human-informed view of change than the typical deterministic thinking about change. So I'm working on that. Mm-hmm. Um, what am I reading? Um, I have been reading a book by um, Jeffrey Pfeffer called Leadership BS. Huh. Yeah, <laughs> which is about you know some of the wrong-headed thinking about leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been well. I should get out my I should get out my little list and tell you what I've been reading. So it's all business, hmm? Um. Well, no, it's not all business. Mm-hmm. Um. If you want to know what I've been reading that isn't all business, oh. I've been reading. <laughs> I've been. <laughs> I've actually been uh, listening to a series called S- The Saxon Tales. Oh, wow. Which is about the time of the consolidation of the English kingdom under Alfred. Wow. Um, yeah. But I've been reading stuff about social network mm-hmm. analysis. I've been reading stuff about complexity. Um, I've been reading stuff about... Um, Social history and the origins of accounting. Wow, <laughs> very very uh, specific topics and like it, it, probably to me totally unrelated, but probably for you they're very related. Uh, oh, to me they're quite related. Yeah, because mm-hmm. everything touches everything. Everything touches everything, right? Well, um, Esther, thank you so much. I wanted to just uh, get like a feeling here for what you're working on. And, and we got this, this amazing info that you're working on another book, The Six 
rules of change. I'm not sure if that's going to be the title or so, but um, yeah, no one can never tell. Exactly, and uh, but I wanted to thank you just for your time. I wanted to thank you and Issy and uh, for for your time. And um, I have more information on the uh, on the website on agile.fm, but. Your Twitter handle is Esther Derby, just in one, uh, no, yep. no, no gaps, no, no colons, nothing. And uh, people can reach out to you. They can get in touch with you on your website, estherderby.com. And um, they find links to all these things we discuss on, on my site, Agile FM, as well. Thank Fantastic. you so much. Yeah, thank you. It's been delightful chatting with you. Same here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm. Talk to you soon.